Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Ziada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, hi, um, and welcome to another episode of Change Making Women. Um, on the show tonight, we have Gwyn Raymundi who is, well, she's going to tell us where she is, actually, but, and, 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 and something about what she does. I think I'll just invite her to give, her, give us her, um, her location in the world right now and uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hi, Mary. It's so good to be here. Um, mm-hmm. I am currently in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. I... I've lived here um, for a long, long time, 25, 26 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up on the other side of the state, which is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am currently, I'm married, I have two kids, we homeschool, mm-hmm. and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist associate here in the state. Mm-hmm. And I specialize mostly, I do specialize in grief and trauma work. And and trauma in the sense, uh, and all forms of trauma. So um, trauma of our own lived experience, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever that may be, from car crashes to abuse to everything in between. Intergenerational trauma, so those stuff that's passed down from our... Mm -hmm ancestors yeah and then also working with cultural trauma which is it's it's a part of intergenerational trauma i believe and it's bigger than that also it's the it's it's the oppression that is passed down and put upon us as women on people of color on differently abled people you know Mm, yeah actually let's Let's just um, get you to go a little deeper into what what you mean by cultural trauma and intergenerational trauma, just for our listeners who might, you know, that might, those sort of terms might be new to them. Um, right. Yeah, intergenerational. I think I have an idea, but <laughs> let <laughs> us know what you what 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 you're meaning. So, intergenerational trauma is uh, trauma that is passed down from our ancestors. Mm-hmm. It, is it was for a long time in the psychology world thought to be uh, passed down through nature or through nurture, sorry, through behaviors. So yeah. an, a grandmother was uh, uh, in the Holocaust and her behaviors are, you know, respond to the trauma she experienced. And so that Uh, informs how she treated her children, which then informs how they treat their children and so on and so forth, right? And so it was thought for a long time that that's how the trauma was passed down. And what studies had found was that uh, at at the third generation, so at the grandchild Mm -hmm. to the uh, grandparent, there were still signs of trauma that showed up. There were still symptoms of trauma that were appearing in uh, for that person. Um, and I can talk about what those are uh, if you want, but um, but what was what's been found recently, and by recently I mean in the last decade, mm-hmm. um, 
is that our is that there's actually we have a trauma marker in our DNA, okay. and this is part of epigenetics research. What is um, what is hopeful and um, and interesting about epigenetics is that it's it's actually looking at the parts of our genes that are changeable what mm-hmm. in us. So. Um, so the trauma marker that's found is mutable. It can be, it can actually be turned off if wow. we process, if we process our trauma, you know, the trauma that's stored in our body. Wow. Okay. So it's really, um, so that's really exciting and fascinating. And, you know, there's all kinds of science that goes with that. Um, but so that's what I mean by intergenerational. It, it is what is passed down directly through our DNA from our ancestors. And, and it's compounded because, you know, each generation faces its own forms of trauma. And so, um, and until recently, you know, in the last decade or so, the idea of, in, in Western culture, the idea of healing trauma, processing trauma, the idea even that trauma lives in our bodies was, um, was not a thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, so we all have this stored in us because none of our ancestors processed it because it, it wasn't uh, typically speaking because it wasn't the thing to do. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So cultural, what I call cultural relational trauma is basically what, uh, what happens to us by living in a patriarchal culture. Sure, it, okay. It is the oppression that we feel, um, that all people feel, quite frankly, even white males, um, yep. but, but more particularly to non-white, non-male, non-cisgendered, <laughs> non-heterosexual, right? Yeah. Um, peoples and mm-hmm. and the systemic um and and cultural oppression that's involved there so we so and and we all get to experience that also so we all have cultural relational trauma and we all have intergenerational trauma and quite frankly most of us have lived experience trauma all swirling in our bodies right okay yeah. and the, yeah yeah that's and it's so interesting that that recent finding about the science of how the you know the intergenerational trauma is actually in our dna and not just in behavior because it kind of yeah it really reframes a thought that I know that it's sort of like subtly in me, you know, that somehow it's what we, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a nurture problem. It, yeah. It's such an interesting, re, you know, reframe from a scientific point of view, isn't it? That that, right. yeah, that, that can, that, that that's actually happening in our, in our actual bodies. And that we're not making it up, right? That it's yeah. not just in our heads or that, um, a nice way to explain something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So this marker, this D- I want to ask you a bit more about the DNA marker because that's so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You said it can be switched off. So, right. And, and you talked about process, you know, processing of trauma. Is, mm-hmm. there, can, is there a simple way you can describe what kinds of processing work you do to help your clients or, or people you're working with to do that kind of processing piece yeah Um, yeah. absolutely so i do i focus mostly on the somatic therapies so Mm -hmm. um you know very body centered Mm -hmm. um, 
body-centered mindfulness focused. Uh, Peter Levine is yep. a big, you know, is a is the big one of the big names, and Bessel van der Kolk um, you know, is the other big name. But there are others. There's Pat Ogden who has the sensory motor approach. There's Ron Kurtz who has Hakomi um, Levine's uh, SE something experiencing it just totally went out of my head anyways um I rem- i've read levine's book with about the tiger is that the waking the tiger yeah yeah um and so there's there's a whole there's each each of those uh somatic experiencing sensory motor approach hakomi they all have their own uh special little nuances i guess um we're talking about- and there's, of course, a specialized certification that you can do in any and all of them and on and on and on. But what they all are really based in is that, that uh, body-centered mindfulness approach of getting quiet and tuning into your body and, uh, and noticing what's happening and noticing what's going on and becoming present in the moment. And and at the same time, allowing your body uh, to, as you're noticing, to do the things it needs to do to process. So that can show up as, um, in, in Levine's work, he talks a lot about the shaking yeah. uh, that happens um, with, in wild animals. Well, and not even wild animals. I mean, you notice if you take your dog on a, on a drive and they get out of the car, the first thing they do is completely shake their bodies. And right. what they're doing is they're actually uh, shaking out the trauma experience that they just had of not being on the ground. Right. Um, and, and then they're fine, right? And then they're totally fine. So um, we humans don't do that after having a traumatic experience. We don't, um, we don't, we freeze typically is what happens. And that I think is thousands of years of conditioning mm-hmm. about um, how, how to respond to crisis and how to respond to, to traumatic events. Um, we leave our bodies, we disassociate, and we don't come back in. So it's not the leaving the body that's the, quote, bad part. I don't like to say bad, but, but that is the har- harmful part. It is that we then don't come back into our bodies and we don't become present again. The leaving of that sort of uh, having that sort of outer body experience during a traumatic event is actually, it, it actually helps save our lives, but right. it's the not coming back in that, that impacts us, can impact us very long term if we don't, if we don't process. So the specifics of, of the processing are, I, we start out learning a lot of ways to soothe our nervous system and mm-hmm. just being able to come down from elevated states because typically, um, particularly people who have lived experience, chronic lived experience trauma, like ongoing abuse mm-hmm. of any kind, um, they're... Our, ner- our nervous systems are in a highly elevated state normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first step is to start to calm that down mm-hmm. and do that a bit. And then, um, and then we start doing work of connecting to our bodies and, and taking breaths and learning to listen and being able to sit with ourselves, mm-hmm. um, starting at like a 
for a minute <laughs> and then uh, moving up to, uh, you know, most of the session, which are for me, I do 60 minute sessions. So, yeah, um, so, and, and various things come up. People tap into grief, yeah. they tap into rage, um, their bodies will do some shaking or quivering or they'll, uh, their hand will want to jerk out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, various things, various motions can happen just spontaneously and we just go with it and mm -hmm. let it. And, um, and so, so that's what I mean when I say processing trauma is that, that literally getting to our nervous system and letting our muscles, uh, do the actions that they couldn't do in the moment, whatever that, whatever that was. I, I get it. And I'm interested in, cause I think most people think of, um, therapy as you know going and maybe talking especially if they've not had therapy of yeah right <laughs> maybe yeah. just talking about themselves for a while so for our listeners that might be thinking that I wonder do you do you have your the people you work with talk about their experiences at all or is it simply this this post physical processing that you focus on or is it a combination of the two or other things as well perhaps yeah, it is a combination. Um, mm -hmm. I the way I set up my practice is that um, I usually, unless I have someone who is in a crisis mode, but I usually will do live. I I do video. Um, I do it through Zoom sessions. So mm -hmm. um, so we do video sessions twice a month, mm -hmm. and then the alternative weeks that we don't have our live sessions, I send email homework and mm -hmm. that would include journaling stuff or a creativity prompt or, I mean, you know, it just depends on the person and what right, we're right. working on and um, all of that. So they have, so, so that we have a connection in between. And then uh, during the live sessions, we, at first, I mean, it, it always, it depends on the person, right? Mm -hmm. We, um, we usually will spend a few weeks talking and getting to know each other and building trust mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and creating a space where the client actually feels safe with me because sure. that's, we can't do this work if you don't feel safe with me. Right. Uh, and, and then we'll slowly start working through, you know, practicing the, um, the nervous system together, mm -hmm. which are, relatively um uh they're, they're they're very straightforward they don't typically they, they soothe right they don't bring up any of our stuff it's not you know not any of that and then when we get to the point where we're doing the body-centered mindfulness work then i make sure that we do have time after we have check-in time before yeah. we even start right and how are we doing yeah. uh, and, then, and then i make sure that we have uh, 10 to 20, I try to make sure we get 20 minutes, a good 20 minutes to process afterwards, right. which is why I do a full 60 minute session. Right. Of course. I don't, I don't want to rush any of this. Right. And a lot of stuff can really come up. Your work sounds really interesting. And then, and I, and I wanted to take us further down into the, the cultural trauma and then, and also how you see maybe, um, your work, you're working in, even if it's one-to-one -one or with groups as trying to make a difference maybe on, on that cultural level as well as the individual level. Right. So I, um, 
So let's see here. Um, so I too, much, too complicated a question. <laughs> let's break it down. <laughs> what were you going to speak to first? Maybe I was going to speak to the cultural piece, and let's do and, that. Um, let's do that. And <laughs> and so one of the things about doing trauma work is that people typically don't see go to see a trauma specialist mm -hmm. unless they have had a traumatic event. <laughs> Right. No, sure. I mean, most of us don't go in and go, oh, I think I have some intergenerational trauma that I need to process. Right. Yeah. Nobody, you know, or um, or this oppressive culture. I need to process my trauma around that. You know, no. people don't do that typically. No. So um, they generally show up with something else. <laughs> right. So the good news is, is that once we start processing any type of trauma, right, the work itself processes processes it all because our nervous system and our and our bodies don't really know the difference it just knows that something bad has happened right and not necessarily our body our brain our mind is something different but our body is just knows something bad has happened at some point in my history mm -hmm. and so and so as we process any sort of lived experience trauma the rest of it starts to process and unravel too and so it's not you know it doesn't have to be okay well i processed uh this abuse now I have to go through and process the abuse of my ancestors, right? It's not, yeah. it doesn't, it's not that, uh, it doesn't really work, work that way. Our bodies yeah. don't work that way. It's just um, that it's compounded. It yeah, it's, it is just compounded. So it's just, it's just layers and levels. And so in my work um, with clients, I, um, we always, even clients who come to me, without specifically and expressly saying, oh, I've had a trauma event in my life. We, we do trauma work. And, um, and I may not use the word trauma depending on the client and where they are. But yeah. once we, at, at least at the beginning, but as we get into the work, then, uh, then we have more discussions about that. And it's not so much a being, uh, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being deceitful. It is more the providing tools for people so that in a way that they can accept them, right? And yeah, uh, utilize them. And I think for some people, the idea of trauma is like, can be, it can be, I certainly found it in my work, like the idea of experiencing trauma sounds like something like, um, what's, what's, what is it I want to say? I sometimes hear people saying like, my trauma is not as bad as so-and-so's or that, that kind of thing. Or like they, they, they sort of put a label on trauma as something more serious than what they think their own experience is. And it's only when you kind of go down deeper that you, find things that you know you might actually describe as traumatic are in there sometimes they're just unacknowledged you know or sometimes it's about how you define you know what that what that word means I guess right well and also people people tend to define trauma as um, something that was done to us without our consent mm -hmm. so things like you know things like rape abuse yeah car accidents that, you know, we don't typically consent to those, um, you know, any, any of those kinds of things. But the reality is that our body can be traumatized on things that we do consent with. And I'm, I'm talking specifically about medical procedures, for example, you know, when we go in as women and get our annual exams, mm -hmm. that can be 
be incredibly traumatizing to our bodies because yeah. I won't go into, you know, the graphic details, but that's not, um, that's not a natural way that our body is meant to be handled. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, or surgeries. Surgeries are another thing that are incredibly traumatizing to our bodies and our brain is consented because we need the surgery for whatever, you know, for life saving or, or life impacting reasons. But our, what our body knows is it's being cut open, metals being shoved into it, parts probably being cut out, yeah. right? I mean, like that's what our body knows. And, and so it needs, so we need to be able to process that too. And that's a, that's a very real trauma. It's, it's not, um, it are, it actually doesn't impact our body any less than, um, than a rape would. Our bodies actually respond really close to the same. It's that our brain has a different interpretation. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. why it may seem like, oh, well, I just had surgery. It's no big deal. Well, this person, you know, experienced this very violent rape. And yes, they're very different situations and it's very, you know, and it, it's totally different things. And our body doesn't necessarily really know the difference. Because what our body knows is that something unusual or whatever happens. Yeah. So the next part of my question was about, I guess, the interaction between this work with individuals or small groups and um, your, you know, desire for social justice and change in the world on a bigger scale. Because I know that they're linked in some ways. And I certainly particularly see the links around the cultural piece, but I wonder if you could say a bit more about <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so in all my group and individual work, we, you know, we do various forms of, of this processing. And then in, as far as the greater social impact piece, I, I deeply believe that, um, that one of the ways, one, one of the pieces of the pie or the puzzle or whatever um, to bringing about social change is that we as the change makers or the ones who are working hard to bring about change mm. to be able to uh, be in our frontal lobe, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, which is what soothing our nervous system is all about. It's about helping us stay connected to our frontal lobe, which is where empathy and logic all live. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time to be processing and working through and dismantling and dislodging all of our internalized crap. Right. Yeah. So, you know, all of the, all of our um, implicit biases, our internalized isms, um, all of that stuff. And, and we all have it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as a white person growing up in the United States, I have racial biases and, and I am working through them and I am processing them. And when they come up, I go, Oh shit, well that just came up again. Um, yeah. And you know, and it's that being aware and making change because when we're not aware of that stuff, yeah, we do more harm. Right. Yeah. And, and right. it's not intentional and we don't, you know, it's not conscious but we're still doing harm. So um, through this work of processing the traumas, um, it, there's a lot of self-reflection that happens in it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so that self-reflection work is also um, 
a big piece of it all for, for me personally and for the work I do out, um, out in my circles with my individual clients, my writing. I write a lot about um, how our culture is horrible, <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, but connecting those pieces also of, you know, this is how, this is how oppression shows up in our bodies, right? Yeah. It, it shows up as trauma. Yeah. And, um, and this, you know, this is how we, and then we respond because we act in certain ways then because we have all this crap going on in our bodies. And so let's work on processing that out. And there's, there's many things that I offer, um, free through various, various and sundry places and ways, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Does that kind of answer your question? I don't know. Yeah, it, no, it totally does. And I'm interested in, um, it totally answered what I asked. And then, but, but what it's spurred another question in me, which is like, um, what would be, you know, the ideal in terms of a culture, <laughs> a culture which did process trauma? So like, how would we get to, not necessarily what were the steps, but what would it look like? if we were processing trauma? <laughs> it's a big uh, question. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a tough, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because mm -hmm. we live in a culture that is constantly traumatizing us. Yes. And so as we are processing our trauma, we're still being re-traumatized. <laughs> um, and so, um, which sounds, you know, which sounds so, so dreadfully hopeless, but it, it's, but in my in my work and what I see with clients and what I've seen with myself, because I, I do this, you know, I personally do this work too, yeah. is with another therapist is um, that resilience is built up. Mm -hmm. Then the oppression actually doesn't impact us um, in the same ways. Right. Yeah. And so then we start getting pissed and we start getting angry and we tap into our grief and we and we're able to really start processing those and and grief and rage are two of the best motivators to for people to start demanding change um truly so you know in a perfect culture we wouldn't be oppressing people anymore <laughs> and then and then allowing people the space to process this stuff because it is um it is not quick. It is not something that is done in three weeks or 12 weeks. You know, this is, it can be some pretty intense lifetime work. That's not to say that, um, that great things can't happen uh, within a six month or 12 month period, because I've seen like, I've seen huge change in people in, in what are truly relatively short periods of time. And like I said, we are constantly being re-traumatized. So it is that, oh, now I'm at the next layer of this piece. And yeah. now I need to look at this part of it, right? Right. And then that, I guess what I was thinking about was like the dog shaking off, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. we, so, so the dog's being traumatized every time we put it in the car, but, but it shakes it out. Mm -hmm. what, what Would we be literally just, maybe this is the funny thing to ask <laughs> I'm going ahead anyway. Do you think we'd be literally like shaking off our trauma, like in that, with that kind of immediacy, would that be a sign of a more healthy culture perhaps or, 
or is that I think I, I do think so. I think that ability, you know, there are there are very there are um, I think a big marker of noticing how a society deals with trauma is how they treat their warriors. Mm -hmm. So how are we treating our veterans? How are we treating our soldiers when they come back from war? Mm -hmm. There are many indigenous cultures that have um, uh, ritual that happens when, when warriors come back and they are taken away and they are wrapped, you know, they, they, I mean, I, I actually don't know the specifics of the rituals because they're not shared. Um, and that's fine. But, um, but there is ritual that happens and a re, um, a reintegrating into tribal life or into indigenous life, into communal life, um, which is different from war, right? It's a very different thing. And so there is a ritual, a process, a transition time mm -hmm. for, um, for the warriors, for the soldiers to come back and heal. We don't, we don't have that in no. Western culture. No. We absolutely don't. And in fact, the ways we treat, at least in the United States, mm. the ways that uh, trauma is treated um, in regard to our veterans and, uh, and the, what's called the VA, the Veterans Administration here, is actually re-traumatizing because what they uh, prescribe is this re-experiencing trauma, which actually re-traumatizes the person. And there's been studies shown on that over and over and over again, and yet our VA continues to do that to our soldiers. And so, um, which is horrifying to me personally. Uh, but, but a big, you know, that would be to me a big indicator is how do we treat our warriors when they come home and yeah. how to help them reintegrate into society. And I think what's really interesting about that is that, um, in, certainly in Europe, um, when I, when I think about, um, the, what you were speaking to about the intergenerational trauma, like very, very many of us in Europe have they might be dead now, but grandparents or great grandparents who were in the um, second world, you know, fighting in the war and lost people in the war. And they, you know, there was significant trauma a couple of generations back. And yeah. so if we are all carrying that, you know, in our DNA, that's right. a big deal, right? Yeah. A big deal. Well, and that, you know, living through air raids and that sort exactly. of, uh, and, and that, that terror of I'm going to die today. Yeah. Right. Right. And, 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 and then somehow surviving it. That's <laughs> and, it and, and all that comes with that. And so, you know, and, I mean, there've been studies after studies after studies on, on the rise of anxiety in Western culture and the rise of depression in Western culture and the rise of autoimmune issues in yeah. Western culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of these things and all, every single one of them is a symptom of trauma. Every right. single one of them. Right. And, and then, so, uh, it is, you know, it is something that I deeply feel we need to focus on more. Mm -hmm. We need to better understand that trauma isn't just, um, being raped or being in a car accident. Right. Right. Um, that, that trauma is a much broader uh, experience than that. Yeah, and that it's really, yeah, that, that basically most of us must be carrying some. 
mm-hmm. from the definition you've given. And actually, when I think about it, although we've been talking about um, uh, Europe and the US, but actually in many parts of the world, there's you know ongoing conflict and all kinds of things that are traumatizing people right now and have been for generations. When I think about colonialism and you know all of that, that's that's mm-hmm. a load more yeah. <laughs> you know, trauma yeah. in people's DNA worldwide probably so there's there's yeah there's a lot of processing to be done if we take this research and 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 what you're talking about seriously it's like we should all be learning this stuff right I mean, even even poverty can be traumatizing, right? Just just living in poverty can be traumatizing, uh, for you know a million different reasons. But not the least of which being that parents are stressed, yeah. and 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 they take that out on their children because they don't have any other release or support. That's and right. so, um, you know, it, it's not. It, we really do need a broader understanding and. Um, realization of how of how our bodies respond to these experiences right Mm -hmm. Um, and and how it does manifest within us and and you know we go in to the doctor because we have all these physical ailments right and they Mm -hmm. can't find any specific thing that's wrong right but um, you know so so even medical doctors need to be more informed and on the flip side of that Therapists and psychologists and counselors all need to be better informed about the physical, um, the physical manifestations mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of quote mental disorders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a very real mind-body connection. It's not, yeah. I mean, you know, again, study after study has shown this. But it tends to be things can get separated out in the way that we try to deal with and treat them, right? Right. Yeah. I, um, I want to ask you, um, before we finish, Gwen, a little bit more about you and how you got into this work. Like, what made you passionate about trauma? And, um, yeah, what, what made you start working in this way with, with the people you work with? So, um, uh, so I, my personal background is that I ha- I was abused as a child in mm-hmm. various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a young, young child, like at five or six, I made the vow to myself mm-hmm. that all of that abuse was going to stop with me, that it wasn't, I was never going to pass that on. Mm-hmm. Um, how I thought I was never going to pass that on is by never having children. That right. didn't uh, work out so well. So, <laughs> and I, I love my kids, and I—I I mean, I, we wanted them, and we—they were—they are both very intentionally here. On um, but then, when I became, so I worked actually as I my undergraduate degree, my university degree is in physics. I have a mm-hmm. bachelor of science in physics. My uh, I worked for over a decade as an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. And then I became pregnant with my daughter while I was working as an engineer and um, various things were happening within my family and I started setting boundaries and there was fallout from that. And mm-hmm. um, anyways, a lot, a lot of things. She was born. I didn't know how, I knew exactly what I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I did want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, well, I know I don't want to do that, but I don't know what I should do in its place. Mm-hmm. 
So I read all the books. You mean about child, about bringing your daughter up, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, Gottman's book on raising an emotionally intelligent child. And Mm -hmm. I read, um, oh God, I I read so many books on attachment parenting. And I read, uh, you know, I mean, like just all the books, (laughs) right? (laughs) But one of the books I read was uh, written by a man named Gordon Newfeld, and he uh, is a psychologist up in Vancouver, Canada. Mm-hmm. And he uh, somewhere in the book, and he uh, co-authored a book called "Oh crap, what's it called? How to Hold On to Your Kids," I think, mm-hmm. with uh, Gabor Mate. So mm-hmm. they co-wrote it together. And somewhere in that book was the mention of family therapists, and I was like, "Huh." Well, that sounds like an interesting thing to do. Right? <laughs> hmm. And so at, at this, you know, after my daughter was born, I, I really struggled. I had postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there was just all this stuff going on. And I fell out of love with engineering. Okay. And most of it was because uh, there was a lot of talk within my company about how they support families. And right. that's true if you have a wife at home taking care of the kids. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and in all fairness, I had a big chip on my shoulder too. So, anyways, fast forward, um, I ended up going part time, mm-hmm. uh, and then was eventually actually laid off, okay. and decided to uh, follow what had been Plan A, but I hadn't been able to figure it out for a couple of years of going to graduate school mm-hmm. and becoming a family therapist. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way I got to trauma was that initially my thought was that I wanted to work with teens and families in crisis Mm -hmm. and and help them through those, what can be incredibly volatile and challenging times. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it just kind of evolved. It just evolved. We started, I took a trauma class uh, as a, um, it wasn't a required class, so whatever. Yeah, an extra. Uh, and, anyways, yeah. Um, and, and the professor was amazing, and we to- all we did was somatic therapies, was looking at the various somatic therapies and, um, and treating trauma from a very body-focused place. Mm-hmm. And I was just fascinated. Yeah. So I took another class. I took the follow-up class to that. And, um, and then through time, it, it just evolved. And I started uh, doing my own unraveling as a parent um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of the crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with my oldest is, she turns 10 tomorrow, actually. Okay. Um, and she's a girl. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the realizations, especially in the last few years, is she, as her body is growing and changing, Mm-hmm. Uh, and realizing, holy shit, I'm sending her out to the wolves. Yeah. Um, and, and the wolves being, you know, the culture that we live in and, and right. how women are objectified and how um, we are, what well, we are objects, right? We, yeah, aren't, right? we aren't human. And so I, at, at that point, then I started really looking at the cultural and the patriarchal piece of trauma and how does it tie together and the intergenerational piece. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of studying, a lot of doing my own, uh, personal trauma work Mm -hmm. with various different types of therapists and, and counselors. Um, 
And so it's just, it's evolved over time. It, it wasn't a one day aha. It was, it's been a process. <laughs> it's been a process for sure. Yeah. And it's still evolving. I mean, my understand, you know, and, and it probably will be evolving till the end of my days because that's right. how, uh, that's how it works. But Right. I, I find it though um, really fascinating and I feel like it's something that I've been thinking about a lot in my work is like, um, uh, how these pieces link between wanting to make a difference in the world and then needing to do our own work or uh, and and take good care of ourselves and and it's definitely like an evolving piece for me to do you know to think about that and I, and this really speaks to it in in some ways as well because like it's like you need to do your piece to be able to do the work you're doing right you need to be processing your trauma. You need to know what that really means in your life and be continually um, addressing that in order for you to grow as you have in the past, you know, eight or 10 years. And for, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as far as the social justice piece for me, I think I've always had that streak in me, that, mm-hmm. uh, me that very yeah. uh, strong sense of right and wrong and, and, and justice and, yeah. you know, from as far back as I can remember, I was relatively politically aware and, you know, I was a teen in the 80s. So it was all about Central America at that point in time. And, um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and all the things, all the horrible things we Americans were doing in Central America and the war on drugs, you know, and all of these things. And, and of course, my awareness of what that all actually is has evolved with time also. But there's always been that streak of wanting to mostly fight for children. Um, at one point in my college career, I was pre-law and I wanted to um, work with abused kids, do child advocacy work. Um, so, you know, it's always been a piece of it. And, and my kids are my biggest motivators in this because I know that I'm, you know, I'm gonna die and I'm not really gonna see the big social change that I would love to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will have done my job so that my kids don't have to do as much work. Right. So that they can do the next layer of it. Right. Absolutely. Let me ask you one more thing. So to the, on the practical level, like, and we always, we normally ask this at the end. (laughs) What do you do when you're, how do you look after yourself? How do you relax? Or what do you do when you're not being a trauma therapist, processing, reading all these, all this amazing stuff? (laughs) Yeah, I, I sleep. (laughs) and you have children and you sleep (laughs) Um, and and I joke about that but that but actually sleep has actually uh been has been an issue for me in my life so um it's important getting enough sleep has been really uh important I've also done you know I come in and out of doing yoga um dancing uh, just playing with my kids, like just mm-hmm. playing and putting Facebook and the rest of the world to the side and, right. uh, you know, coloring, drinking lots of yummy herbal teas, um, TV, you know, right. I mean, like just very, it kind of, I, I, I'm going to use the word escapist, but that's not really <laughs> what I mean, but just, you know, doing things that don't directly relate to, yeah. to yeah. the work 
so that my brain can just rest. Yeah, brain rest. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And body rest too, right? It's been so good to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank um, you so much for having me. I learned so much. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to sharing this with our listeners. So um, just remind us what your website is. And then we'll put all the details on our page as well. But just for anyone who's listening and hasn't managed to look at the page, remind sure. us how we find you. Um, it's GwynRaymundi.com and it's mm-hmm. G-W-Y-N-N, mm-hmm. uh, Raymundi, R-A-I-R-A-I-M-O-N-D-I.com yeah. mm-hmm. and, um, all kinds of stuff, how to work with me individually, the circles that I'm currently offering. I have a piece on cultural relational trauma up on there, like all kinds of info. So brilliant. Great. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com.